Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue the season of Advent and the sermon series Before the Messiah. And we're continuing to worship in person in our sanctuary as well as online. What is your favorite Christmas song? Do you know who wrote the very first Christmas song in all of history? Join us now for the message, Elizabeth. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. I am Jane Grainer and I'm the senior pastor. I'm Wesley McCall. I'm the music director. And this is now our second Sunday to be here in our sanctuary and we're just still just as excited as we were last week that we are now here in our sanctuary. Be thinking about this, what is your favorite Christmas song? Uh, and do you know who wrote the very first Christmas song of all time? We'll be talking about that a little later in our service. We also invite you to give an offering for the ministry of our church. You can do that through our website, tumcd.org, through our church center app, or by just mailing a check to the church. And for the lighting of our Advent wreath, we have these words from the prophet Isaiah. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. We light these candles as a symbol of Christ our joy. May the joyful promise of your presence, O God, make us rejoice in our hope of salvation. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Please join me in our opening prayer. Gracious God, your vision of peace and wholeness comes to us in sweeping revelations and in tiny signs of hope. Kindle our hearts that we may be a hopeful people. Keep us from growing weary of waiting, lest we miss the glory of your appearing. Even so, come quickly, O God. Amen. And for both those who are gathered here and those who are gathered with us online, my prayer for you is peace be with you. And also with you. Please join me in our prayer for illumination. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us in the waiting, the watching, the hoping, the longing, the sorrow, the sighing, the rejoicing. Speak to us by your word in these Advent days and walk with us until the day of your coming. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, 
for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will be called blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Okay, this is congregational participation time. What is your favorite Christmas carol, song, hymn, sacred, secular? Say them out loud. If you're at home on Facebook, go ahead and post them to the Facebook feed. But what is, what is y'all's favorite hymn, song? Silent Night. Silent Night. Sleigh Ride. Sleigh Ride. That, that's a good one. Carol of the Bells. Carol of the Bells. I, I like that one, too. We Three Kings. Oh, Holy Night. Joy to the World. Joy to the World. That's, y'all are all get, making very good choices. Very good choices. Well, I came up with two that are my favorite. Uh, my favorite Christmas hymn is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It is haunting and very medieval and very melancholy. It's three things which I love. Uh, <laughs> My other favorite Christmas song is Do You Hear What I Hear? And I first heard that song as a child on my parents' Perry Como Christmas album. It was written, I didn't know the background of this until much later, but that song was written in October of 1962 as a response to the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was a prayer and a plea for peace uh, that, as we just kind of hung there on that precipice of nuclear war. And knowing this backstory gave it even more meaning for me than it had had even before. But do you know who wrote and sang the very first Christmas song of all time? It was Mary. And, it, and, we, and Wesley read that in our passage there from the Gospel of Luke. There it says that right after the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary to announce the birth of the Son of God, Gabriel... Um, Oh, she went in haste to visit her relative Elizabeth, who was also pregnant and living in the Judean hill country. So to review the story so far, one day the priest Zechariah was serving in the temple and there appeared to him the angel Gabriel. Gabriel said that in their old age, he and his wife and Elizabeth would finally have that first child that they had been so longing for. And their son would be great in the eyes of God and he would prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And of course, we know now, we know now their son as John the Baptist. When Zechariah returned home in time, Elizabeth conceived a child. She was so overjoyed and awed by this gift of the Holy Spirit that she stayed in seclusion for five months, just contemplating the magnitude of all that was happening to her. Well, six months after Elizabeth became pregnant, That same angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, an engaged virgin living in Nazareth of Galilee. The Holy Spirit would overshadow her, 
causing her to conceive a son. Her son would be the son of God who would reign over the house of Jacob forever. Gabriel then told Mary that her relative Elizabeth was also pregnant for nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary replies, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. A short time later, Mary arrived at the house uh, of uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And as soon as Elizabeth heard the voice of Mary, it says the child within her leapt in her womb. That must have been a really hard kick that he did. Even in utero, Elizabeth's baby was proclaiming the coming of the Lord. And this is just as the angel had prophesied to Zechariah when he said, even before he is born, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, suddenly Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaims, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Now notice that Elizabeth is the first person ever to refer to Jesus as Lord. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, she is acting as a prophet. And her first words to Mary, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. As you may recognize is the beginning of that standard Roman Catholic prayer that's known as the Hail Mary. And this is probably the first time that Mary's obedience and surrender and to God and favor with God is being acknowledged and celebrated. Because we know later on she's probably going to get a lot of flack for being pregnant before she was married. At this point, the story stops for a musical interlude and a commentary to reveal the meaning of what has taken place and the meaning of the story ahead. So now Mary herself gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And she begins to sing. And she sings. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Thus starts, this is one of the most important passages in the New Testament. This this song and this this prayer, this prophecy is known as the Magnificat. And it's been the basis of numerous musical and choral arrangements over the centuries. It's inspired volumes of theological reflection and discourse and exegesis. And it gets its name Magnificat from the first word of the song as it appears in Latin, which is the word that we would translate into English as magnify. So Mary begins her song giving thanks for what God is doing in in and for Mary herself. God has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant and has done great things for her. And generations will call her blessed. While future generations may call her blessed, it is doubtful that very many people, except for perhaps Elizabeth, would call Mary blessed in her lifetime. She left Nazareth Nazareth as soon as she got pregnant, so at this point she has yet to experience any of the ramifications of carrying an unwed pregnancy. And later on, even after Jesus is born, time and again, Jesus is going to be a source of great worry and anxiety for his mother. From 
the dedication of the infant Jesus at the temple to the time in, when he was 12 years old and stayed behind and got lost in Jerusalem. Up to the time then he started his public ministry and just became increasingly more controversial and in trouble with the authorities until that day when her son and her baby is tortured to death before her very eyes. After Jesus' birth, when Mary and Joseph do go to prevent that, present the infant Jesus at the temple, we talked about this, by the way, in our pastor's Bible study on Wednesday, but when they were there, there was an old prophet there named Simeon, and he prophesied to them, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many shall be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Next in her song, then Mary turns to God's vision for the world. God is merciful for those who fear him from generation to generation. God uses the strength of his arm to establish justice. And then comes what I think are the most important verses in this song, and really one of the most important verses in all the Gospel of Luke. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Here Mary is prophesying nothing less than a revolution. And a revolution that happens in three acts. The first act is going to be a moral revolution. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. The life of Jesus in all its facets, his, his, his birth and his teachings and his death and his crucifixion and his resurrection, all of these will convict even the most proud among us. Next to his example of what a human life should look like, we're all going to fail miserably by comparison. And so it is only after the thoughts of the proud in their hearts, after all of those inner illusions that we are self-sufficient, all these illusions to which we cling, only after the proud have those thoughts of their hearts scattered and thrown down, then will repentance be even a possibility. The second act is going to be a social revolution. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Now these are very powerful words. These are dangerous words. Jesus' mission is going to be the undoing of the social order as they knew it. In fact, even within a few hundred years, this very empire that seeks to execute Jesus will turn around and recognize him as the Lord, and Christianity will become then the religion of the Roman Empire. The third act is going to be an economic revolution. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. So not only will the poor be lifted up, but the very definition of who is poor and who is rich is going to be transformed. And the values of society will no longer be centered on how much one can acquire, but how much one can share. As I originally wrote this sermon, I had It's a Wonderful Life playing in the background. And I remember that, that wonderful line that comes at the end of that movie where someone says, George Bailey, the richest man in town. 
Now, the danger of these words to inspire revolution, morally, socially, economically, has been recognized through the centuries. When the first translation of these scriptures into both English and German were published, the Magnificat was deliberately left in Latin so as not to foment sedition among the common people. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote that in the 14th century King Robert of Sicily, upon hearing the priest chant this in Latin, he remarked, "'Tis good that such seditious words are sung in Latin, lest the peasants understand them." <laughs> then in the early 18th century, the composer Antonio Vivaldi, he worked as a choir master for a girls' choir in an orphanage in Venice. And he composed to them a setting for the words of the Magnificat, and as one commentator noted, if you look at the words of the canticle, you realize the significance of what Vivaldi was doing. He was taking lower class young girls with no hopes, prospects, or protectors, giving them a song to sing, and offering them a chance to bring about their own redemption and the liberation of others like them. They were truly singing Mary's song. Through them, the Holy Spirit was exalting the humble and meek and sending the rich away a good deal emptier. They were incubating the gospel of transformation just as Mary in her womb was incubating the word of God. And I found this particularly interesting. In the 20th century, the nations of both Guatemala and Argentina at one time banned the singing of the Magnificat, seeing it as an act of rebellion. I actually think they were absolutely right, not to ban it, but to see it as an act of rebellion. But this act of rebellion, though, is nothing less than the gospel. Remember that Luke is the same gospel where we find what I like to call the Jesus agenda. These are the words from the prophet Isaiah that Jesus reads the first time that he visits his old synagogue in Nazareth right there at the beginning of his ministry. You find it there in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now imagine these words being spoken to the United States, which is, by the way, the richest nation that has ever existed. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Jesus came so that we can experience forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But God's vision for the world is a lot larger than that. The Creator's mission is not just to save souls, it is nothing less than the redemption and the recreation of all of creation. In this new creation, no one will be hungry or suffer poverty. No one will be afflicted with disability or be imprisoned, be imprisoned either by tyrants or imprisoned by the fallenness of their own hearts. Furthermore, creation itself will finally get the respect that it deserves as the handiwork of the Lord. Human beings, therefore, will take care of the planet with which they have been gifted. And there will be peace on earth and goodwill for all. And God has invited us to be a part of this recreation, this revolution, this rebellion. If we are fortunate 
enough to have never known real poverty or hunger, which pretty much is the majority of all Americans, we can still be a part of God's mission by facilitating the change that Jesus came to bring. We don't have to be one of those proud ones whose thoughts are scattered in their hearts, who is brought down from the throne, who is sent away empty. Every year there seems to be some new outrage that Christ is being taken out of Christmas. And whether one says Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays has now sadly become part of the culture wars and has become, in some people's eyes, some sort of a political statement. But I think if we're really concerned, if we're really concerned about keeping Christ in Christmas, then we will embrace the message of the Magnificat, the first Christmas song ever written, by the way, and we will endorse all that it proclaims. We'll want to become part of the lifting up of the lowly and the filling up of the empty. When we think about God's mission of recreation, I want to be part of that. I want to be a part of God's future. And when the book of life is opened at the end of time and the story of salvation is read, I want my name to be part of that. And I want the name of Trinity United Methodist Church to be in that story. And the name of every single one of you to be part of that story of salvation. So think about what role could you play in the fulfilling of the Magnificat? What role could Trinity play in the fulfillment of the Magnificat? As I said last week, last week, with the renovation of our church, we're beginning a chance to completely reconsider and redefine and redirect every ministry of this church. So how might Trinity make the message of the Magnificat more of a present reality? I urge you this season to not only contemplate how Trinity might make the Magnificat more of a reality, I also challenge you to consider how you could make the message of the Magnificat more of a reality during this season. Even though Mary prophesies about God's future, notice though that she speaks in the past tense. God has scattered the proud. God has brought down the powerful. God has filled the hungry. It's kind of like in Mary's, in Mary's vision, she's almost seeing kind of a double vision. She's seeing how God is working in the present to bring about a future where we can have assurance. Mary says yes to something that is larger than herself because Mary had faith that what God was doing in her life would be her greatest joy and her greatest work. We also know, though, it's also her greatest sorrow. But generations have indeed called her blessed. And so now we're blessed with this task of being a blessing, of fulfilling the Magnificat, of singing the Magnificat with the acts of our very lives. Because what we do now can be a blessing for the generations after us. For blessed are we if we are part of that fulfillment of what has been spoken of by the Lord. Amen. And so now let us enter, uh, now, now with the spirit of the, uh, with the confidence of the children of God, I forget which part of the service I was at, <laughs> and now with the confidence of the, of the children of God, let us pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Remember that you can always find a recording of our service on our Facebook page, on our website, tumcd.org, or on our church's podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. And so your action item for this week, first of all, continue to pray for Trinity and to get our building done. That's your action item till this is all done. And also consider how we as a congregation and we as individuals can make the Magnificat a living reality this season. And so now receive this benediction. The Lord has looked with favor upon the servants of God. You have been blessed with divine grace. So go and make the Magnificat a reality this season. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us next Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next week, we'll continue the season of Advent and the sermon series, Before the Messiah. You'll find that on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church. Thank you.